Hi, I'm Jeff Sickinga, Executive Director of the Ashbrook Center, and this is The American Idea, coming to you from Peter Schramm's library in Ashland, Ohio. Welcome everyone to this episode of The American Idea, and today we're going to be talking about two very important, but I think understudied documents in American history, two letters from Thomas Jefferson that help us reflect more deeply on the meaning of the American idea. And I'm joined today by a friend and colleague, Professor Cara Rogers. Cara is Assistant Professor of History at Ashland University and helps us out with our Teaching American History programs at the Ashbrook Center. Cara, welcome. Uh, Thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Let's talk about these two documents. Um, They're probably documents that, you know, they're featured in our 50 core American Documents book at Ashbrook. Um, We think that students, teachers, and citizens should be reading them, but I'd venture to guess that not too many people have. And I'm referring specifically to Thomas Jefferson's letter to Henry Lee, which he writes in 1825, and then a letter to uh, Roger Waitman later in 1826, not too long before Jefferson dies. These two documents um, help us understand some of the historical context of Thomas Jefferson and these letters in 1825 and 1826. Okay, absolutely. Well, the letter from Jefferson to Henry Lee, first of all, so the one from 1825. Henry Lee is one of the members of the Lee family of Virginia, right. has many members. And so I know Robert E. Lee, for example, any, any relation or connection? Half-brother of Robert E. Lee. Really? Okay. And Henry Lee was working on revising his father's memoirs about his father's participation in the Revolutionary War. And he had some questions for Jefferson about the revolution and particularly about the Declaration of Independence. Um, By 1825, it was well known that Jefferson was the main penman of the Declaration of Independence. But there was some controversy about maybe whether Jefferson had cut and pasted, so to speak, Uh some of the uh, phrases in the Declaration. And Henry Lee wrote to clarify whether uh, Jefferson should get credit for the Declaration's wording, or perhaps John Locke, or George Mason, or uh, another person who had really come up with some of these key concepts. Okay, so he's looking back and saying, just help me understand the writing of the Declaration of Independence and how it came to be, and your role in that. That's correct. Okay. Um, the letter to Roger Waitman in, from 1826. Yes. What's the situation there? This is an incredible letter. Uh, it didn't need to be. It was actually just Jefferson replying to an invitation. So Roger Waitman was the mayor of Washington, D.C., and he was organizing a large celebration to mark the 50th anniversary of independence. And so Roger Waitman wrote letters to all of the surviving um, people who had signed the Declaration, um, people who were founding fathers, Charles Carroll, James Madison, James Monroe, John Adams, and Jefferson, and invited them to come to the celebration. And everybody wrote back and said, nope, sorry, can't come. But Jefferson took the opportunity to really make a a, a kind of a 360-degree philosophical statement. He remembered what it had been like at the moment of declaring independence. Mm -hmm. 
he talked about the significance of celebrating the Declaration in 1826, and he made predictions for the future, his hopes for the future, not only for America, but for the world with the ideals of the Declaration. So this date is fascinating to me because the date of the letter to Roger Waitman is June 24th, 1826. He's invited, as you said, to the Jefferson is to the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration to come to Washington, D.C. He can't do it. I think a lot of people know this, but what's so significant about late June and early July 1826 for Thomas Jefferson? Well, Jefferson is very ill at the time, unfortunately. When he writes this letter back to Waitman, the very next letter that he writes is to his doctor, pleading with his doctor to come to Monticello to, to give him some medication to ease his pain. Uh-huh. And unfortunately or maybe fortunately for the significance to the nation, uh, Jefferson ended up passing away on July 4th, 1826. So 50 years exactly. Remarkable. And, and the same day uh, as John Adams passed away. That's always been an amazing fact. Yes. And it was to everybody at the time as well. They thought it was providential. Yeah. So this is really 10, or 10 days or so right. before Thomas Jefferson dies. He's an old man, a dying man, who knows he's dying. In and a you sense, think he this takes is, that opportunity then? Yeah, I think this is his last words to us. This wow. is his dying statement in a sense. Okay, last words to America. Let's talk a little bit more in your mind about the importance of these two documents. Because okay. as I began, I think it's fair to say that a lot of listeners, uh, people tuning into this episode, probably say, I've never heard of these documents. These two letters from Thomas Jefferson one year before he dies and then one week before he dies... Why are they so important? Haha. <laughs> These documents are important if anybody is interested in understanding the significance of the Declaration of Independence to the man who wrote it. Hmm. But also, I think he gives us some profound insights into why the Declaration of Independence became significant to so many other millions of people and has had such a global impact. So Jefferson's letter to Henry Lee. Yeah, let's start there because okay. this is interesting to me. The fact that you might even be suggesting that at first, maybe in, the, in our nation's life, the Declaration of Independence was not perhaps understood to be as important as it later became. Right. Yeah, it's funny to think of now, but at the time, the document itself wasn't seen as too terribly important, and certainly the author of that document was, uh, that wasn't a claim to fame that Jefferson had. Hmm. It was briefly mentioned in the 1780s that Jefferson had written this document, but it really became important in 1796, and at this point, Jefferson's political career has gotten a lot more contentious uh, in terms of fighting with the opposing political right. party. Right, John Adams and the Federalists. Exactly. And Jefferson is being accused of being perhaps even anti-American because of his support for the French Revolution. Uh, People are saying perhaps he is not a patriot, he's not pro-American, maybe he's a Francophile more than he is a, a lover of America. And so Jefferson's supporters started to really tout the fact that he had written the Declaration of Independence as a way of proving that this guy is really American. <laughs> ah, okay, okay. So then take us to this letter to Henry Lee from 1825. Um, let me, if I can, can I just start reading a little bit? Um, Jefferson's writing is always so wonderful. You can see why he was, in fact, chosen to write the Declaration of Independence. Right. He says this, With respect to our rights and the acts of the British government contravening those rights, there was but one opinion on this side of the water, 
all American Whigs thought alike on these subjects. What's he mean there? All American Whigs thought alike on these subjects. So when Jefferson uses the word Whigs, it's, an, it's a term that comes from British politics. And in, in the English context, it's referring to people who are supporters of uh, the rights of Parliament against the tyranny of the king. Jefferson used this term to refer to patriots in America, those who were fighting for American independence and for the right to self-government. And so he's writing here that uh, when he wrote the Declaration of Independence, it was representing a singular opinion, uh, one opinion on this side of the water, at least one opinion shared by all of the Americans, perhaps as many as a third to two thirds, eh, depending on how you measure it, uh-huh. of Americans who, who supported independence. So he's saying, we all thought, we who favored independence, we thought alike on certain things. Yes. And then um, he's going to go on, I guess, to tell us either what things they agreed on or where we can find that agreement. He says this, When forced, therefore, to resort to arms for redress, an appeal to the tribunal of the world was deemed proper for our justification. This was the object of the Declaration of Independence. What does that mean? Help it. He just tells us, I guess, what the purpose of the Declaration of Independence was. The Americans in 1776 are being labeled by the other nations of the world not as heroes who are fighting for self-government, but they are still rebels who are acting against their rightful king Uh and his authority over them. And so Jefferson and his fellow revolutionaries had to explain themselves. He says they had to appeal to the tribunal of the world to explain why they had resorted to arms or to warfare to fight for their rights uh, of independence. And this was the incredibly important task of declaring independence. It was to gain international recognition. So the Declaration of Independence has a foreign policy purpose. Absolutely. That's one of its primary purposes. It is a state-making document at its core, yes. And if if the Americans had continued to fight without declaring independence, the, the fear was, the danger was, they wouldn't get any aid from other nations. Ah, okay. So we're declaring to the world, we, the purpose of the declaration is, we Americans, we're a country now. Yes. And please help us. Yes. <laughs> and not only are we just telling you that we're a country, we're going to justify that to ah. you. We're appealing to you uh, with facts um, and reasoning. So he goes on to say, Not to find out new principles or new arguments never before thought of, not merely to say things which had never been said before, but to place before mankind the common sense of the subject in terms so plain and firm as to command their assent, and to justify ourselves, the word you used, in the independent stand we are compelled to take. That's a long sentence. What does that mean? So this is Jefferson... Uh, responding to Henry Lee's question about where did the ideas in the Declaration come from? Yeah. Did you, Mr. Jefferson, come up with something brand new? And Jefferson here says he wasn't intending to create a completely new philosophy when he wrote the Declaration. He wasn't saying something that had never been thought of before or said before. He was simply placing before the world what was common sense, what the Americans uh, who were fighting for their independence had all come to realize was the right course of action. So Jefferson is saying to Henry Lee, look, I didn't make this up. Yes. <laughs> this is what we who wanted independence all agreed on. Yes. Um, 
the unanimous declaration, as it says, yes. uh, of the United Colonies. Then he goes on to say, though, neither aiming at originality of principle, which sounds like what we just said there, or sentiment, nor yet copied from any particular and previous writing. Why would he say that? Why does he want to say, look, I, I didn't make it up, but I also didn't copy it? Right. When Jefferson wrote uh, in 1776 the Declaration of Independence, there was a tradition, an Enlightenment tradition, of political authors not to necessarily take credit for their writings. They would often publish anonymously right. or under a pseudonym. Uh-huh. But by the early 1800s, the tradition of, of authors had changed and individuals were now taking credit for their ideas and it was becoming more important to make it clear if you were quoting from somebody else in your own work, you should cite that source. I see, because you were getting the credit. Right. And so some had accused Jefferson of perhaps taking credit for the words of John Locke or George Mason or another author uh, in, a, in a kind of underhanded way. But really These would what, have been Jefferson's political opponents, the Federalists? Exactly. Saying, hey, don't think Thomas Jefferson is so great. Yes. He, he just copied from somebody. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Or perhaps even somebody like uh, like John Adams, who, who maybe thought Jefferson shouldn't get too much credit for uh. writing the Declaration. <laughs> he didn't come up with it all on his own. And Jefferson is agreeing here and saying uh, that he wasn't copying it from any particular and previous writing. He didn't just take George Mason's... Uh, Virginia uh, Declaration of Rights and and copy it word for word right. the way that some of his we, detractors we, accused him of. Is it true, as a historian, would you say it's true that we believe that Jefferson did have a draft of Mason's Declaration of Rights with him in Philadelphia? Yes. But he's saying, but even though I had it next to me and it informed my thought, I didn't copy it. Right. Right. It, what he would say, I think, is that if we keep reading, yeah. uh, he says that he was, or the authority of the Declaration, rather, rests on the harmonizing sentiments of the day, rather than on any one particular thinker or any one particular document. Okay. It was more that these ideas were in the air in Philadelphia, that everybody was talking about um, concepts such as self-government and natural rights. And Jefferson's job as the draftsman of the Declaration of Independence was to put all of those on paper in the, the way that most made the most sense. I see. Okay, so he's just sort of trying to understand and write down what the Americans across the colonies and those gathered at Philadelphia in the Second Continental Congress, what they're thinking. So I didn't make it up myself. I didn't copy it from John Locke. I'm just trying to tell you what the Americans were thinking. Right. And that does go on, go with what he says next, which was it, the Declaration of Independence, was intended to be an expression of the American mind and to give to that expression the proper tone and spirit called for by the occasion. What does it mean? This seems like a big phrase. And it's one that, you know, we at Ashbrook talk a lot about. And this is maybe the first time that we hear this phrase. It was intended to be an expression of the American mind. It's a bold claim. It's almost as if all of America is one organism that thinks alike. Um, and it's difficult to comprehend that now when Americans particularly seem to be so divided and have so many different opinions on everything. Right. But Jefferson is calling our attention to the core values on which America was founded, that he is giving an expression to the American mind in these, particularly the opening phrases of the Declaration of Independence, where he ah. talks about all men are created equal and endowed, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Right. So this helps us understand, I'm thinking of that phrase from the Declaration, at the very beginning of the Declaration, 
uh, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people. And it's always struck me as an odd phrase for Jefferson to use because he's there in Philadelphia with these representatives of all these other colonies. We know they're squabbling. We know they're bickering. They're fighting. Some of them uh, really don't get along with each other. Some of the persons, the personalities, some of the colonies themselves don't. They have different interests. And yet he describes them in the Declaration as one people. Right. To you, does it seem connected to this notion of the American mind? I think so. And it's actually interesting. I, I was just looking at the very first rough draft of the Declaration. Uh, the phrase was originally a people. And then it got crossed out and changed to one really? people. Really? Yes. That's fascinating. And, uh, and my students and I were just debating why they could have made this change. And I think it was the, the committee of five. So Adams, Jefferson, Livingston, Sherman, uh, these people who were working on the very first version after Jefferson came up with his draft. Okay. So these committee members and Jefferson seem to have changed the wording to one people. And what theory we came up with was... As you say, the Americans were 13 colonies. They were not yet one people. They were very much separate entities with op opposing interests a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And even in the committee, uh, John Adams apparently asked Jefferson to be the draftsman because Adams said, nobody likes me. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you better do it. Good old John Adams. <laughs> yes, so honest. Um, so, so yeah, Jefferson and, and the committee changed the wording to one people to emphasize that as a part of their act of declaring independence, they were also unifying in a new way and becoming literally one independent people. And I absolutely think that that ties to this idea that there was one American mind on these core principles. On these core principles. So they may have disagreed on policy. Absolutely. They may have disagreed on what the right decision to make was in some particular aspect of the war or domestic policy. But what you're saying is for Thomas Jefferson, looking back from 1825 to 1776, he's saying we shared core fundamental principles that made us Americans. Right. And where do we find those principles in his mind? We find them where? In the Declaration. In the Declaration. Absolutely. So we don't just declare independence to the world, we tell the world what we stand for. Right. And what makes us Americans. That's right. We justify ourselves and our decision to the world uh, by sharing these principles, which they should all understand and agree with. These are harmonizing sentiments of the day. That people had in their minds, that they felt, right. and that they acted on. Right. And so let me finish here, because there's, it raises the question to my mind, well, where do those principles come from? If, if it's, there's a common American mind... And really to be an American is defined by Jefferson as having those principles sort of animate you as a human being and as a citizen. Mm -hmm. um, he ends by saying this, all its, the Declaration's authority, rests then on the harmonizing sentiments of the day, whether expressed in conversations, in letters, printed essays, or in the elementary books of public right, as Aristotle, Cicero, Locke, Sidney, etc., who are those guys? <laughs> so the first two, Jefferson is looking back to ancient history and referring to two ancient philosophers, Aristotle and Cicero. 
And then the second two are a little bit more recent for Jefferson. These are English uh, philosophers who attained prominence during the religious and political disputes of the 1600s in England. These are both thinkers who um, advocated for the rights of the people and the rights of parliament against the tyrannies of English monarchs. Mm. Uh, Sidney is referring to Algernon Sidney, who was executed in 1683 um, for his supposedly being part of a plot to try to overthrow King Charles II. Uh, and John Locke is also a famous uh, Enlightenment thinker right. of the time who, who attained prominence for his political writings, uh, particularly advocating for natural rights and for natural law. And for John Locke, uh, all men are created equal and endowed with rights to life, liberty, and property. And so he's one of the thinkers that is very, very easily noticeable in the phrases of the Declaration of Independence. Okay, so while Jefferson said it didn't copy from someone like Locke, he says, all our minds were informed by principles articulated by people like Locke. Exactly. It, it, isn't it true? Um, I've heard this, that when Jefferson was asked, who do you think the three greatest human beings are? Yes. Uh, is it true that it was Francis Bacon, mm -hmm. Sir Isaac Newton, mm -hmm. and John Locke? You got it. And their portraits are all hanging in his living room at Monticello. Uh, they can still be viewed today. How about that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so this Declaration uh, of Independence, its significance here in this letter from 1825 is not just that it was historically important for 1776. Right. But it, it, it tells us who we are as Americans looking back from 1825 to, 18, to 1776, or looking forward to 1825. Um, in, in that context, the, the next letter, the one that we mentioned before to Roger Waitman, um, seems to connect to that idea or to that theme. Because Jefferson, as you said, is one of his last letters here. He's a sick and dying old man, and as you wonderfully said, he really takes a moment to reflect on the importance of the Declaration, not just historically, as the historic founding of America. So we say, right, the founding of America is July 4th, 1776, not July 2nd, right? Right. Why, why might we say July 2nd? In fact, some people have said John Adams wanted us to think of it as July 2nd. He wrote this beautiful letter. John Adams wrote a great letter to his wife, Abigail, on July 2nd and said, Americans will always commemorate this day with parades and with, uh, with fireworks and explosions. <laughs> and he was so wrong. So close, but so wrong. Uh, well, why July 2nd? <laughs> July 2nd was the day that the Revolutionary uh, uh, Congress voted for independence. Ah. But they didn't approve the document until July 4th. I see. So it's the transference of importance from the decision to declare to the document itself. Okay. Uh, that John Adams, I think, was a little bit bitter about I later see. in life. But it's <laughs> because Thomas Jefferson, Jefferson wrote it. Because Jefferson gets the credit. <laughs> so, but it wasn't the act of the act of will or decision. It was the reasons, the mind behind that, yeah. that was really the thing that Americans see as the beginning of our country, July Fourth. I think so. And also the fact that the Declaration is a touchstone for us, that we can, each one of us, read it and struggle through its concepts right. and principles and make it our own today in a way that we couldn't if it was a decision that was voted upon by the man in the room. Yeah, we would just 2nd. know they voted for independence. We wouldn't know what right. independence means. Right. We wouldn't know what it means. So in this last letter here, he kind of tells us what he thinks independence means. Declaration of Independence means not just for 1776 and the beginning of the country, the past, but for the future. Right. 
And if I can, I'll take the liberty to just read this. He says, um, May it be to the world, it being the Declaration of Independence and the, and the decision for independence, what I believe it will be, to some parts sooner, to others later, but finally to all, the signal of arousing men to burst the chains under which monkish ignorance and superstition had persuaded them to bind themselves, and to assume the blessings and security of self-government. What will the Declaration do for the future? He says, I hope it will liberate not just Americans, as it has, but the rest of the world. Help us understand that. This is such a beautiful phrase. And it's interesting to note, in 1826, Jefferson was literally looking around him at the world and seeing the, the start of other nations beginning to declare independence. Uh -huh. Many of them copying either the style or the substance of the American Declaration. Right. So in the 1820s, for example, Latin America, South America begins to get independence. Absolutely. Greece in 1822 had mm -hmm. spoken of natural rights in their uh, Declaration of Independence. Uh, and so Jefferson is looking around and seeing other nations literally bursting the chains that they had been under, the chains of tyranny. He uses the phrase monkish ignorance and superstition. And to Jefferson, what he's referring to there is uh, possibly a little bit of a, that old glorious revolution, English Protestant feeling of the, the Catholics are oppressing us. And so there's a little bit of maybe reference to the language of anti-popery um, that uh -huh. you would find in the works of somebody like Algernon Sidney or John Locke. So Jefferson is he's saying there are ways that religion has been used to oppress people in the past or that superstition has been used or denying education and freedom of thought to people. And he is hoping that all of those things are going to be broken and that people will choose to get out from under those yokes. And adopt the blessings and security of self-government, as he says. So right. one superstition in Jefferson's mind would have been the divine right of kings. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or the, the absolute authority, perhaps, of the Pope uh, at the expense of self-government. Right. And then he goes on to say this, that form which we have substituted restores the free right to the unbounded exercise of reason and freedom of opinion. All eyes are opened or opening to the rights of man. What's that mean? Jefferson, when he wrote his... Uh, his Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom started with the sentence, Almighty God has created the mind free. One of the most beautiful phrases I think he ever wrote. And it very much reminds me of what he's saying here, that once individuals are able to open their eyes and think clearly about the rights that God has created us all with, then they will see that they they cannot be oppressed by kings, that kings don't have the divine right just because of one's family or one's lineage to rule over others. We can be enlightened, as he says. All eyes are opened or opening. So it hasn't happened yet completely. No. Opening to the rights of man. Then he goes on to say, you might say, well, how do you know that? What's causing that? What's happening? And he says, the general spread of the light of science has already laid open to every view, the palpable truth that the mass of mankind has not been born with saddles on their back, nor a favored few booted and spurred, ready to ride them legitimately by the grace of God. Okay, two important things about this phrase. Yeah. So, first of all, Jefferson says the general spread of the light of science has already laid open to every view. 
when Jefferson uses the word science, he's not just referring to biology, but he's using that word in the Enlightenment sense of philosophy is a science. Okay. He's he's of the mindset that uh, that God has created natural law that governs the affairs both of the natural world and of the world of humans, and so as people. Um, have this light or this enlightenment as their minds become more free and as uh, the scientific methods of the enlightenment spread, they are going to become more and more aware of the truth. And then the second quote, this truth that they will be aware of is that the mass of mankind has not been born with saddles on their backs, nor a favored few booted and spurred ready to ride them legitimately. This was actually another one of those phrases that Jefferson did not come up with himself. Uh -huh. He's actually reaching back to uh, those troubles between kings and people in England in the 1600s. And there was a, a gentleman named Richard Rumbolt who was executed in 1685 for opposing a, a king that he felt was tending toward absolutism. And Richard Rumbolt, these were some of his last words that he gave on the day of his execution. Really? Uh, and so Jefferson doesn't quite cut and paste, but uh -huh. people of the day in 1826 would probably have recognized this and known that Jefferson was referring to one of his heroes. So the last words of this dying old man, Thomas Jefferson, are words of a dying man from 140 years before. Yeah, it's a beautiful irony. And he goes on to conclude then, he says, these are grounds of hope for others. In other words, because enlightenment is spreading, because people are coming to understand the true principles of politics, we have hope for the rest of the world. Then he says, for ourselves, let the annual return of this day forever refresh our recollections of these rights and an undiminished devotion to them. Every 4th of July, what should we be doing? Well, definitely hot dogs, fireworks, <laughs> ball games, apple pie, all of that. But I think Jefferson is also, at the end of his life, he was a little bit worried about the future of America, a little bit huh. worried that perhaps Americans were becoming too self-interested and forgetting the sacrifices that their fathers had made, the generation of 1776 had made when they risked their lives and their sacred fortunes to mm -hmm. fight for freedom. I think Jefferson is ending with a call to action to the current generation of 1826 and to future generations that it's so important to remember, to return to the past, to return to the Declaration, to refresh our memories, that we never forget what the American mind is and what those foundational principles were that were able to um, spur this incredible revolutionary moment. Look back to refresh our understanding. And then to me, it suggests also looking forward. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're Thomas Jefferson writing this in 1826, you're about to die. The found, Many of the other founders, James Madison will be one of the only one who lives on, and that's another 10 years or so. Um, what does he look when he looks at the future of America, what does he hope the trajectory of American history will be? How does he hope the country will develop, especially in relationship to the principles of the Declaration of Independence? Yeah. Jefferson hoped that freedom would spread across the American continent. He famously used a phrase, the empire of liberty, hmm. um, which seems to be a bit of a contradiction in terms. But Jefferson hoped that people would choose to be part of the American Republican experiment. Mm -hmm. Uh, he hoped that self-government would spread across the American continent. And Jefferson also truly hoped that slavery would end, this great contradiction that, yes, he wrote the Declaration of Independence, but he had also inherited multiple slaves 
from his father and then from his wife's father. Uh, and he wrestled his entire life with how do we ensure liberty and self-government to all Americans, not just the ones who were free when the Declaration was signed in 76? So as he's looking forward, um, his words in some ways are picked up, right, by later Americans. Yeah. Um, Help help us understand, and those who are tuning into this episode, how do later thinkers and statesmen look back at Jefferson and do what he, in some ways, hoped they would, which is to go back and look at the Declaration of Independence for, for guidance and for inspiration. Yeah. Well, during the uh, the abolitionist movement of uh, the pre-Civil War era, there were some American abolitionists who looked back and felt like the, the founding fathers had been hypocritical and that the founding was corrupt because slavery had not been dealt with. So that's not a new argument. Not a new argument at all, no. Um, But there were others like Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln who looked back to the founding and said, the American mind is true and and holds value and meaning, even though the founding fathers did not fully deal with that problem of slavery. One of my favorite Lincoln documents is uh, this uh, thing that he wrote in 1859 when he said, all honor to Jefferson to the man who in the concrete pressure of a struggle for national independence by a single people one people, had the coolness forecast and capacity to introduce into a merely revolutionary document an abstract truth applicable to all men and all times. And Jefferson said, or Lincoln said rather, when Jefferson chose to include a statement of natural rights in a document that truly its purpose was to declare independence, to attract aid from other nations, to establish statehood, but Jefferson included natural rights, and Lincoln says he did that so that we can now, in 1859, look back and use those words as a weapon against, as, Jeff- or as Lincoln said, reappearing tyranny and oppression. That we can have that touchstone yeah. of natural rights of the American mind to use to continue to fight for individuals' natural rights. That all men are created equal with the exactly. same natural rights, the same liberty. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. That all men. And so Lincoln looks back and says, Jefferson planted that seed. Yeah. And it's our job to sort of bring that plant fully to to crop. Yes. If those words had not have been in the Declaration of Independence, the struggle for liberty among uh, abolitionists and enslaved Americans, I think, would have been a lot harder. Right. But Lincoln was able to build on the foundation that Jefferson had laid. How about later thinkers? Does this come up again in the 20th century? Yes, absolutely. So many Americans are probably familiar with uh, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech right. that he gave at the uh, at the March on Washington in 1963. Actually, that speech is not called the I Have a Dream speech. Uh, the original title for that speech had to do with a check. And we find out why when we, when we read Martin Luther King's uh, words, he said... Uh, referencing the the founding fathers, that when they wrote the Constitution and the Declaration, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. Basically, he said the founding fathers, when they wrote the Declaration, they were signing an IOU to other Americans. And this IOU was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness Hmm. and mlk was able to make the case that america had 
in a sense, defaulted on that IOU for many years, that in 1963, African Americans were still struggling uh, because they were not fully equal. Right. They were not enjoying the full promises of liberty. But MLK also had tremendous faith that the arc of history bends toward justice and that the words of the founders are not false. And he was able to refer to the declaration and say, here we are, the March on Washington, we've come here to cash the check and we believe that riches of freedom and the security of justice are available to us. So in these great moments of national struggle and sort of defining who are we as a country, what is America, both Lincoln and Martin Luther King Jr. look back to... Jefferson's words to the Declaration's words, as Jefferson hoped they would when he wrote that in 1826, they actually do do that and say, let's, let's continue those principles, let's, let's build on those principles, let's bring them fully, to, let's bring them to fulfillment, really, right. in, by our courses of action. And they look to Jefferson and his thought for inspiration. Right. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. That's, that's, that's very encouraging, very hopeful to see that. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate the time, uh, the insight into these two documents. They, like I said, they're not very read very much, very often. They're not always read very deeply, but man, you've helped us see the tremendous meaning for the American idea in these two documents. So thank you very much for joining us. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of The American Idea, presented by the Ashbrook Center. You can find this episode and more of our resources for students, teachers, and citizens at our website, ashbrook.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to subscribe, like, rate, or review it, and of course, share it with your friends and family. From Peter Schramm's library in Ashland, Ohio, I'm Jeff Sickinga. Stay healthy, stay hopeful, and stay connected with Ashburn.